0: Get ready! Hello and welcome to College Talk. It's your host, Beth Brandon. And welcome to the 50th episode. That's right, we are on episode 50. And I'm so excited that you're joining us for it. And I'm so excited that, you know, if you've been here before this episode, that you have come along for the ride. Uh, I just want to say thanks. We have over 100 subscribers just on CastBox. So there's more on Apple uh, Podcasts as well as Spotify and uh, other websites that have picked us up. Um, we can have subscribers there. So it's just really mind blowing. I've had thousands of listens, which is fantastic and really exciting and overwhelming. Uh, and And thank you for that. Um, so, uh, before I jump into my super exciting interview with Dr. Shamassian, I just wanted to give out a huge thanks to you all. Um, I think maybe around this time last year, if you searched for college on CastBox and they gave you a list of the best, uh, college podcasts on their website, we were in the top 10. Um, right now we are seated at number one, which is really cool and excited and exciting. Uh, exciting. Excuse me. I'm so excited. I can't talk. Um, It's so exciting. Um, And it it just is is really cool. And I just want to say thank you because I know I took a really long break. And so coming back and still having folks listen and engage with the podcast is very exciting. So a couple of announcements. Uh, We are back after a break. Um, So I will be doing another episode here right before the the holiday winter season. Um, And then I will be taking a break for the holidays uh, to spend time with some family. And then um, from there, I will be back and we probably won't have any breaks for quite a while. So buckle up and get ready. Um, We are going to be changing gears a little bit. The next episode is definitely going to be more financial aid based and we're going to be hitting hard some of those FAFSA myths. Okay, so uh, buckle up, get ready, and we're going to talk about the FAFSA and why you should fill it out. And we're going to get rid of some of those myths that keep people from filling it out. So get ready to join me there. All right. One more announcement. Remember, as always, if you have questions, you can email me at podcastcollegetalk at gmail.com. And there's a ton of free, great information and free resources on https colon backslash backslash podcastcollegetalk.weebly.com. So go check out that website and, uh, yeah, get some free, free resources and free stuff. Um, Yeah. Also, please, uh, if you haven't yet, subscribe, give us a comment, uh, rate the podcast, let us know if you like it, Um, and and that helps other people find us so that other people can get access to some information to help the college-going process be just a little bit more smooth. All right, so without further ado, I'm going to stop talking, and I'm going to let past me start talking, uh, and we'll jump into this interview. Hello, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us. I am honored um, to have this guest today. I'm super excited. I've obviously been talking about it over the last four episodes or so, and definitely fangirled in our last episode. So um super excited to introduce our guest, Dr. Shirag Shamassian. Um, and yeah, I'm super pumped to have you here. Thank you so much for joining.
1: Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to chat.
0: Yeah. So I, um, I served with Advise Michigan through AmeriCorps and did pre-college advising. So um, when I got to read a little bit about what you've been doing and how you've been helping students go from, you know, that undergrad piece to then taking that next step to, I mean, you know, the ultimate dream for a lot of students of law school or med school or things like that, I was like, oh, this is awesome. This is like way in line with my mission. So super excited to, um, to have you here. Could I first ask you, can you tell us a little bit about your journey to start your academic consulting company and just some of the great work that you do and you have done.
1: Yeah, thanks so much. Um as far as my journey, it's a little bit convoluted uh, in that it wasn't like a straight line, but I guess that's true of of most people, you know, the way they go about their careers. And so I sure. grew up as the child of of two immigrant parents, you know, had come here from Lebanon during the civil war there in the 70s mm. and you know, my dad was able to, you know, get admitted to a master's program mm. in, outside St. Louis uh, in Southern Illinois, and so you know that brought him and my my mom to the states. And so they always saw education as like was like a literal ticket uh, out of out of you know difficulty and and also a ticket towards success and prosperity and things like this. And so mm-hmm. when my brother and I were growing up in in LA, uh, there was always a conversation about like you know, go to go to a great school, get a great job, you know, be a doctor, dentist, lawyer, this kind of thing. Uh, basically, I, I feel like a lot of uh, kids of immigrants, you know, laugh when I when I bring that up, because it's a it's an all too common refrain uh, mm-hmm. within that community. And, and so we really internalized that, you know, we did well in school, even though I didn't love school, you know, I didn't, I'd i rather play video games and basketball and things like that. But sure. I always, you know, in the back of my head, I was like, you know, mom and dad said, you know, go to school, get a good job, all this kind of stuff. Okay, so I'll, I'll get, you know, get good grades and, you know, go up from there. <clears throat> but an interesting thing happened when I was in high school. And as I was approaching, you know, these college application processes, and I was like, okay, mom, dad, like, it's that time, you know, we're getting ready to apply now. I'm like, how do you do it? They're like, oh, we didn't go to school in this country. We didn't do undergrad. So there was almost like, a, <laughs> this is what you need to do. This is what you need to do. Work towards this. Okay, I'm here now. How do I do it? Good uh, luck. Yeah. yeah. Like <laughs> What you know here? Like, good luck. I'm just gonna, uh, you know, push you off the plane. You know, there's a parachute, but you know, good luck. You know, yeah. figure it out. Um, and so, and so we did. You know, my brother. And I went to, went to good schools, but my, my path was also a little bit different in that I always wanted to, you know, maybe get out of LA and and do something Mm. different than other kids were doing. And, um, you know, I always had this idea in my head of like, what if I went to an Ivy league school, what does that look like? But there was no one from my school who had ever gone there. Mm. And so I was self-taught with the process. And, and when I was able to get in and get great scholarships, you know, people were asking me for help. And then when I was in uh, college, I was like really interested in admission. Now I had like learned how to do it myself and assisting others get into great colleges. People now were coming to um, me for assistance with grad school applications. I was like, yeah, I think I can help with this too. It's all about storytelling and figuring out what your path mm-hmm. is to that field. They were having success in everything.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and I was pre-med all through college and learning that stuff for myself, essentially selfishly. Right. I don't mean that in a bad way, but you know, for me, cause I want to have that mm-hmm. and and over time, the request sort of grew and grew and grew. And uh, and I was like, man, you know, people are really successful with this. Uh, when I help them, I really enjoy it. I think there's an, an opportunity here. And so I just started, you know, now telling people about it. And, you know, through word of mouth, it was growing. But really what I think changed the game was um, r- producing, you know, content for, for online because, mm. There were a lot of people. I remember. I remember that people were having very similar struggles, whether it was deciding on what career path to take or how to write a great personal statement or something like this. And I, I wanted to. I wanted to give them something to read before coming into their calls with me. Mm-hmm. And I found that there was nothing really great online. There were a lot of tips and you know what we call listicles, like tip mm-hmm. one: be yourself. Tip two: show, don't tell. Mm-hmm. Um, except when you had to put pen to paper, it wasn't that valuable. But when right. we started writing about it. Um, it just kind of grew things and people started contacting me that I had never met. And they said, Oh, I read your stuff online. And I'm like, Whoa, who are you? What's, <laughs> you know, how do things get on Google? And I didn't understand SEO or anything like that. Right. Um, but here we are years later and it just sort of snowballed from there.
0: Awesome. Um, I, I really appreciate you. You mentioned talking about um, telling your story and I think that's super important because I think one of the things when, in doing pre-college advising that we tell students um, is when you're writing those personal statements, you're writing those, you know, um, admissions essays. You know, it, admissions reps can tell if your parents are writing it for you, or a counselor's writing it for you, or if you're telling your story. Um, and and so I appreciate hearing that from you too, because it sounds like that could be applicable to all levels, like not just undergrad, but also you know a grad program as well. Yeah,
1: ex- ex- absolutely. So at the end of the day, you know, you don't need to be a lawyer. Uh, to understand, you know, the, the storytelling involved in applying to law school, you certainly Mm -hmm. don't have to be a physician to, you know, assist someone with becoming a doctor, because at the end of the day, it's all about understanding sort of what your motivations are and what path you've taken to your desired career. Uh, Mm -hmm. Something you brought up really early in our conversation, I think during the intro, you were talking about sort of the ultimate in the step. So when people Mm -hmm. apply to college, it's a little bit more of a generalist approach, right? Where you're talking about Um, aspects of your life that someone maybe like couldn't learn from your resume or all Mm -hmm. that kind of stuff. But it's sort of the initial stepping stone. I think sometimes people get into a grade school, they're like, I've made it. Mm -hmm. And no, you've made it to the next step. You're essentially the slate is wiped clean. And you start all over with your grades and all this kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And what you've pursued during college, which are going to be, you know, hugely uh, influential for for your odds of getting in, not only from a resume standpoint, but also from what story you get to tell mm-hmm. in your applications. And so our job, you know, is to assist students from the ground up in terms of what activities to pursue to support their interests, how to go deeper in those things, how to eventually take those and, you know, write about them and and, you know, essentially show everything in a compelling way uh, mm. through really vivid, you know, stories um, that allow the the reader to imagine that they were there with you and to understand your motivations and emotions around those things. And when you do that successfully, it's clear to the reader on the other side of it, not only what you want to do, but your motivations behind it. And, and that sure. can be really, really powerful.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, and you, speaking of clean slate, because you, you mentioned that, um, let's start from scratch. So when should students really you know, start planning to apply to like medical or law school, um, you know, what should they be doing to prep? Uh, I know, you know, I, I was preoccupational therapy for a very short time, uh, during my undergrad, before I realized that wasn't quite what I wanted to do. And I, I thought about doing that, um, the summer after my sophomore year and I felt super behind and that was, um, you know, a master's program, not even a full, you know, medical program, you know, med school yeah. program. So yeah. When should students start thinking about this?
1: As soon as, you know, college, I mean, the summer before college begins, ideally, um, mm. because, you know, if you're trying to apply to school straight through, what I mean straight through is, you know, between your junior and your senior year, which is when you apply to, you know, medical school, or if you're applying to law school, it's the fall, essentially, of your senior year, you'd be applying. That creeps up really quickly. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're, you know, you're in school, freshman year, you're getting one year under your belt, your courses, social events, all this kind of stuff. Um, you know, then your sophomore year, it's like, all right, I feel like I've got my bearings and like people almost around then is when they start really picking up the pace. But okay. before you know it, like in a year, and then there's an MCAT. And then a year from there, you're applying already, it really right. flies by. And <clears throat> given all the things you have to do for successful med school admissions, if you don't start early, chances are, you're going to have to take a gap year. And so a lot mm-hmm. of students, given how long the road is, you know, from high school to med school to you know sorry from high school to college to med school to residency um, you don't want to take tons and tons of time because you know starting in college you have the four years of school then four years of med school then I don't know three to seven years of residency so it could be like 15 years post high school even if you go straight through so most people want to want to you know accelerate things and the best way to do that is get an early start be very deliberate in what you do and what Mm. you don't do because I feel like choosing what not to do is probably just as important rather than, you know, people who are just getting nervous and become what we call chronic joiners. People who just join mm-hmm. everything okay. without thinking about how that profile fits together. So honestly, yes, yeah, summer right after high school is probably key.
0: Okay. That's, that's, that's good to know. So if students are feeling a little bit on the, the fence about it, probably the best thing they can do to help them figure it out is see if they can shadow someone or have an interview with a med school to kind of get an idea of what that would look like?
1: Yeah. So shadowing physicians uh, is really important. You want to have um, ideally around hundred hours, a little over hundred hours, um, but patient exposure is more important than that. When I say patient okay. exposure, it means direct patient contact mm. where you're actually providing some form of care. Whether you're working as an emergency medical technician or a medical assistant, or if there's, I don't know, a mobile clinic that allows volunteers or whatever the case might Mm be. Just so to show med school admissions committees that, hey, I really love this direct patient work. uh, And it's something I've devoted my time to. Um, Other key pieces are gonna be research uh, and community Mm -hmm. service. And what most people do, which ends up being a problem is that they're almost too well-rounded. What I mean by too well-rounded is, They might, you know, for patient exposure, work with work in hospice care in, in lab, they might work with fruit flies, community services done with kids and shadowing is done with, I don't know, uh, orthopedic surgery or something Mm -hmm. like that. Mm -hmm. And so it's cool because you've checked all the different boxes, but there is no cohesiveness across those activities. Mm -hmm. There's nothing that tells me, oh, this is someone who's passionate about X other than medicine generally, but it becomes harder to sell that story. Uh, when you're writing your applications versus a student who, you know, a lot of their activities surround the central theme, Mm -hmm. they're going to be in a much stronger position.
0: Okay. So I I had a a good example. I have a a friend who speech language pathology. She knew from the get-go that, um, she wanted to do gerontology work. She was like, I, kids are not not my thing. Um, so I don't want to work in a school. And so all of the um, internships and the clinicals and stuff that she did, she tried to make it with a, a adult, at least if not um, elder population. Yeah. So that would be a good example of if you have an idea of what you want to do, go ahead and focus in on that. You don't have to have touched every every single uh, piece of the puzzle, basically. Yeah,
1: exactly. Okay. Exactly. Hugely valuable. Um, you know, if you yeah, you're not going to accomplish every you're not going to be in every little uh, specialty, you're not going to get every experience. So just focus in on what you love there. Mm -hmm. It's almost one of those, you know, there are a million, there are a million ways to get to the same destination essentially Mm -hmm. of Mm -hmm. medical school. So focus on the path, you know, that includes the experiences you're actually excited about rather than, you know, slogging away at, at things that you don't like, but they just allow you to clock in, clock out and get the hours. That's not Mm -hmm. a fun way or frankly, an effective way to get in.
0: Sure. Absolutely. Okay, so um, so we've talked about experiences and understanding right from the get-go, right after high school, is this something that I want to do and dedicate my time to? Mm -hmm. From there, uh, if they've made that decision, yep, this is when I want to start. I'm going to start looking for these organizations to join, getting my hours of shadowing. Maybe I've got my CNA. I'm I'm working directly with something, or I've got you know I'm a paramedic, so I'm doing that on the side, Um, or scribe maybe at like a hospital would that be something that could work or
1: scribing is valuable in fact you know coincidentally we published a guide on scribing literally just last week and emailed our our newsletter about that so it's something that's been top of mind for me Uh, we got this question a lot it's actually one of the most popular you know options now scribing is a little bit tricky beth because it falls somewhere between shadowing and direct patient contact because you're Mm. in the room with the patient but you're not quite the one delivering care. You're sure. almost like an active observer, if you sure. will. Um, and so I like scribing as far as getting a lot more exposure, but mm-hmm. it's not like a primary experience that I like for our students to hang their
0: hats mm-hmm. on. Okay, that's, that's really good advice. So if you want... So say uh, you have a student who maybe needs to make sure they have a job to help them get through undergrad or, you know, college or something, but they are like, I don't know how I'm going to do this and this and get my shadowing hours, a scribe position could be a good way to start um, as they're working to get like, you know, the requirements to become a paramedic or something like that. Yeah.
1: I mean, it's a really strong foundation, like for a lot of students, um, you know, it allows them, like I said, that observation and uh, some semblance of clinical experience, mm-hmm. it certainly allows the student to, to show admissions committees. Look, I know what a doctor's work entails, mm. which is frankly what the shadowing is for. But okay. if you're, you're doing that at a deeper level, because, you know, admissions committees don't want to just see an application from someone who's like just in lab but, you know, hasn't seen a patient or been close to them. And they're like, mm-hmm. you actually know what a doctor does and <laughs> right. you, said you want to dedicate your life to this, but you don't even know what, what they do. Um, so you want to answer that question. You want to nip any concerns like that in the bud okay. uh, and, sh- you know, scribing can be a really effective way to do that.
0: Okay, cool. So what else should students be doing to, you know, prep from there? They've got their shadowing. Maybe they've got that direct experience. Should they be joining like a pre-med society at their institution, an honors society, something totally unrelated to medicine? Um, yeah, what are some things that they can also use to prep?
1: Yeah, so so clubs are not necessary. Okay. Um, you know, if there's a club that allows you to, you know, have a lot of direct patient contact or is great for community service, fine. But if you're joining a club and the primary reason is so that you can indicate your club membership on the application. Mm-hmm it's a negligible experience. Okay. So what matters is what you did through the club, not whether or not you were in a club. Okay. So if the the thing about it is I was in this club, period, I showed up to meetings, period,
0: not, not going to help you, you at all.
1: It's yeah. not going to give you any sort of edge. Okay. Um, and, you know, and then the, you know, so, so joining a club is one of them. honor societies. That's fine. But honor societies are, they tend to be, reflective of what you've already achieved so like an Mm. honor society might be like or or an award might be you know given to all students who had a 3.85 plus gpa well if you had a 3.85 plus gpa that already shows up on your application the fact that that allowed you to join an honor society is less valuable in other words the gpa to get in is more valuable than the getting in
0: gotcha if that
1: if that makes sense right so it's a little bit circular and i wouldn't you know You know, if it requires tons of work to get into an honor society beyond, you know, getting great grades, and it's a big time commitment, and you're Mm -hmm. not necessarily making a deep impact. Again, not a not a huge, huge benefit. Although in most honor society, it just has to do with grades. So if you have them, join them, it might, you know, might involve very little work. and, Mm -hmm. And you know, that can be beneficial to you.
0: Okay. Um, so obviously coursework is important. It's probably super important to work with your academic advisor to make sure you're taking all of the classes you need, depending on what school you're looking at to go to for medical school. I'm assuming there's probably different prerequisites or courses that students should be focusing on and they should probably already have an idea of what school they're interested in. Is that mm-hmm. okay.
1: Now when it comes to, you know, coursework, uh it's pre- most medical schools require <clears throat> the same or highly similar courses okay. for you to be eligible to apply so like a year of bio with lab a year of chem with lab a year of physics with lab a year of math uh, and then there'll be you know a writing requirement like mm-hmm. taking an english course that has a writing component they'll recommend a few courses like maybe stats or psych or sociology or whatever the case might be. So, you know, take their required courses, aim to take most of the recommended ones. Um, And then the major you take also doesn't matter. Now, if you're in like a bio major, All those prerequisites will already be a part of your major, essentially. Mm -hmm. So nothing to worry about. But let's say you're a history major. It's extra important to work with an advisor on campus to make sure you're taking those prerequisites because they might not be embedded in your major. Um, So that's a key thing. Uh, But it's not just about taking the right courses. You also have to make sure to take them at the right time because they influence when you can take the MCAT successfully. Mm-hmm. So the MCAT is sort of the SAT or the ACT, but for med school admissions, it's a very mm-hmm. hard test. It's like over seven hours long oh. and there are four giant sections and there's a lot of coursework to build that foundation for the exam. And so if you take the prerequisites to spread out over multiple years, you might, not have enough work under your belt to allow for an earlier test date in your college career which Mm. would then put you in a position to apply to med school straight through this is not so much of an issue if you're gonna take a gap year or two but if you're looking to apply straight through not only what you take but when you take them matters
0: okay that's 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 um that's really good advice because yeah you know i sort of forget even the g you know taking the gre first of all that makes the gre seem really easy seven hours is (laughs) intense um but uh but yeah you, they only have it at certain points you know throughout the year and I think the GRE has even more availability than MCAT so that that's a really good thing is one that is one you have to have those courses you know ready mm-hmm. by do you recommend students like taking MCAT uh, course or like get any books or things like that to prep with as beyond just the college classes there oh in? for
1: sure okay. for sure um and, you know 100% of students that I come across have either bought a book or taken a course or done okay. one-on-one tutoring. Okay. Um, so it, it's not, um. It, it's basically expected um, mm-hmm. that you're going to do something. Now, whether you t- you buy just books and do self-study versus a course versus one-on-one tutoring just really depends on the student. I think mm-hmm. there are different things that work well for different people. Like books and self-study are really good for students who are exceptionally bright and who can figure out test strategy on their own. Mm-hmm. It's also the most, you know, it's the lowest, uh, requires the lowest investment, like financial investment. Um, but there's a big weakness, which is what if you don't have um, high self-accountability or you're not very motivated to study right? or you're not good at, you know, picking up test strategy? Those are big issues that come up mm-hmm. if you are, um, if you're doing uh, prep book self-study. Courses are really nice in that it's very structured. You know, you come to, you come to class on this day, you mm-hmm. do this homework. Uh, and all this kind of stuff, it's a one size fits a bunch of people, Mm -hmm. um, but not necessarily fits them well. And it doesn't necessarily fit everybody, right? Because, you know, those are really good at providing structure. But again, they're not going to be customized to you. So it's a nice middle ground between prep books and one on one tutoring. um, But it's sort of it doesn't get you all the way there for a lot of students. And then one on one tutoring, the downside is that, you know, it's the most Uh, you know, requires the highest financial investment. Um, And, uh, you know, the flip side to that is that you're going to get the highest level of customization. Mm -hmm. So it's going to be geared towards you, you're going to have a diagnostic exam, a custom study schedule, um, lesson plans developed for your specific strengths and weaknesses, Mm. uh, strategies that again, work with the way you naturally approach a test, and all of that. Um, and, you know, my bias, of course, is that we do offer one-on-one tutoring. Mm-hmm. But like I said, different different options are, are good for different people and with one-on-one highest customization, but then also highest financial investment.
0: Okay. So it's almost like, you know, if a student's used a lot of one-on-one tutoring and they know that that works for them, it might be a good idea to check into that if they've been able to, you know, based off just taking notes and supplementing, you know, lectures with their sure. Their textbook maybe the book thing will work for them or if they're using like a supplemental instruction and they like that bigger class chatting with other people maybe the course you know so base it off of what's worked for them yep in their college experience okay awesome so that's kind of all the prep stuff um i think the, the big question that i'm sure a ton of students have is how can they create those application materials that are going to help them to stand out so you know an essay or a personal statement you know prepping their cvs or resumes
1: yeah. So let's assume for a moment that someone has arrived at the point of applications and, mm-hmm. and they've, you know, they've secured all the necessary experiences when it comes to research and patient exposure and community service. And now it's time to put pen to paper.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: The most common experience that, you know, students have is they open like a Microsoft Word or a Google Doc and they just stare at a blank white page and they pull up their resume and they're like, what the heck? Do I write about I'm sure. There are all these, you know, there's a lot of hearsay online and these discussion forums on the internet about um, you know, I, I should write about something not related to medicine at all. I should, mm-hmm. you know, start with a crazy story. I should definitely write about something medical, definitely mm-hmm. write about something in my intro that's not medical, something that's the most unique to me. So there's a lot, there are a lot of you know tips out there about what you should or shouldn't do. And you know, the answer, uh, you know, to what do you start your essay with? What should you write about? There are no rules. Okay. There are, there are, there are certain guiding principles, but there's mm-hmm. no clear black and white rule. What might work well for someone else might not work for you. You don't need to have what we call an aha moment. Like mm-hmm. that's the moment I knew I wanted to be a doctor <laughs> when I saw that patient in Honduras during my mission trip or whatever. Mm-hmm. It, it doesn't have to be that if that's your story. Sure. But um, so let's just wipe away these misconceptions of things that it must have. I mean, mm-hmm. really the only things that it must have is it has to be about you and it has to clearly describe your path to medicine. Um and and so rather than looking up a resume and think like, "Ooh, which of these experiences should I write about?" What we like to do is we like to work backwards. So, mm. I like to ask students all the time, you know, what impression do you want to live on, leave on the admissions committee? In other words, if somebody read your essay, what impression of you do you want them to walk away with? Mm. So describe some of those adjectives to me. And then I'll ask, okay, which of these experiences from your resume best highlight those adjectives? You know, best show a time when you've been compassionate or when you've had, you know, a positive attitude despite really difficult circumstances or whatever the case might be and usually we're able to shortlist from their resume and also from their personal life experiences that really show that and then we'll think about okay what's the right structure for what to highlight first second third how did one experience lead you to another how can we build good transition sentences and then the stories tend to write themselves once you have that clear kind of outline mm-hmm. versus the resume and the blank piece of paper and thinking, uh, what do I, you, you essentially need a North star. You need something to base your decisions on Mm -hmm. so that you can write successfully. And so the personal statement is your high level. Why you, why medicine? What did you do to get there? What are some personal and professional experiences that have been really powerful for you? And then other sections like The work and activity section, which essentially acts as your expanded resume, Mm -hmm. that one tells us day to day what you did some of the lessons you learned, what your responsibilities and achievements were and then your secondary essays are your school specific essays which you know take these other materials right? And then you branch out and essentially communicate fit with individual schools. So mm-hmm. this is when you get into the nitty gritty of what a particular school can offer you. But before then, it's much more general. It's much more 30,000 foot view. Why you why medicine? What did you did to sort of cultivate this interest?
0: Okay, awesome. I think that's that's super helpful. Because um, I think you're right. I think, you know, even as we had, you know, students who are looking to start their you know personal statements for just you know just for undergrad that was that same thing it was that terrifying blank you know google doc or microsoft you know word you know document, and it just yeah. the, the blinking cursor and where do i go from there and and that's fantastic is what do you want what's the end goal and then how do you get there um which i feel like a lot of you know english professors would probably echo so there you go yeah um uh, with just regular papers too awesome so i think this one um is has been super important to me because i Have often with the students that I've worked with, you know, they may not have ever had anyone who has said, like, hey, you know, you can go to college. And, um, you know, especially when I was serving with AmeriCorps. And so um, those students, I think, even throughout the whole application process, experience that imposter syndrome. Um, But then, especially once they're in undergrad and if they're moving towards that goal, um, they're probably, you know, they could be experiencing imposter syndrome um, or self doubt as they advance. So, you know, in your experience working with students and talking with students, how can students combat those feelings?
1: Yeah, so imposter syndrome, boy, this is something that I've, you know, personally had to uh, work through, um, you know, throughout my education. Mm. Um, and it's something that students oftentimes, you know, come across and you know, like I said earlier, in my experience, there were there was no one from my high school, um, you know, before or since who went to an Ivy League school. So there were no there was no one that I can sort of look at and say, oh, that person looks like me or has a similar experience to me and mm-hmm. they made it. And so it's doable. Um, and this is so true, especially for students who come from certain minority backgrounds or who have low income and stuff like this. There's essentially mm-hmm. no one to look to to say, wow, that person you know, looks like me, has my background and dated and all this kind of stuff. So first of all, you know, getting to know students uh, is really, really important. Uh, And, you know, if you're a student listening to this or a parent, just really understanding what your motivations are, because Mm -hmm. it has to be for you not to, you know, not to please a parent or a teacher or to act on somebody else's uh, expectation of you, but to do it, you know, because you want to do it Mm -hmm. and and the thing is imposter syndrome is not something that just like goes away overnight that you can think your way through Mm. you just kind of have to do it um and it's one of you know people say like fake it till you make it there's there's wisdom in that right because like. It's like well no one in my community has done this and i don't know that i'm deserving or that these schools are in it for me well yeah and if that leads you to not apply that's a self-fulfilling prophecy you are you literally cannot get into a school you don't apply to mm-hmm. but you have to you have to have that you know some ounce of faith that it's possible for you mm-hmm. and some ounce of hope and to just act on it because what's the downside really like if you believe you're not going to get in and like you know, or that, you know, people from your community haven't gotten in or whatever, if you don't get in, you don't get in, but you're always going to wonder what if, Mm -hmm. so I'm the type of person and I encourage this in other students, you know, think about what's the, what's the worst that can happen. And for you, what's worse, you know, applying and not getting in or not applying and always wondering what if and having those doubts Mm -hmm. and and so i'm a big proponent of yeah look you're probably not going to feel necessarily like you belong or whatever um but that's kind of a feeling that's going to come up again and again in life you know Mm -hmm. when you go to college you're going to get even when you get in let's say you're going to go to brown or dartmouth you're going to get there you're going to look around and say oh my God, everyone here looks like they they know what they're doing. I feel mm. a little like the odd man or odd woman out mm-hmm. um, and all this kind of stuff. I feel like an imposter. Yeah, I bet you most of your counterparts feel the same way. Sure. You're going to eventually get a job. You're going to say, oh, I don't know. Like, <laughs> yeah, I got a degree, but you know, am I really fit for this job? You're going to feel that way. You might start a business. Oh, I didn't have any formal business education you know, why me? Why would anyone pay me money to do this thing? Mm-hmm. It's just a fact of life. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now I'm a parent talk about imposter syndrome. It's like, <laughs> you know, I, it's not like every day I know what I'm doing or, you know um, but you, you figure it out by feel and by trying and making errors along the way and addressing those and so on and so forth. So imposter syndrome is not something to run away from uh, you know, to it's sort of one of those things you have to lean into. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and just figure your way out through it. So, so don't be afraid to take the plunge. And if you are take the plunge anyway.
0: Yeah. And I really love that. I know one thing I'd talk to about my students is, you know, um, especially if it was, you know, we could get the application fees covered. So they weren't going to be potentially like losing out on money. Sure. You know, it, it would be, you know, at the end of the day, this is either going to either, you're going to be where you are already, or you're going to give yourself, the power of choice and having yeah. more options and there's so much power in being able to choose between different things. Um, and so, you know, I love the the thing of that, that same mindset of like, either way, like if you do this, you might get a note, which isn't as bad as you think it is. It's not wonderful and fun, but you know, you'll, you'll probably have other options. Um, and, and the op the other side of that could be that you get a yes, um, which is, you know, the, the super exciting thing. So, yeah. 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 Um, that is amazing. Um, so I think my next question is sort of, you know, is there anything, any other words of wisdom, anything else that you would want to impart on any students or parents or counselors or higher ed professionals giving us a listen?
1: There I mean, there's simply so much to, to cover with this part. And, and really, I think what we just talked about Beth is, is some, is a really nice take a home message, like mm-hmm. with so much of what we do for college admissions or med school admissions, like thinking about what, it, what is the downside risk really in trying mm-hmm. it's not that bad. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, and that that's true for, you know, for not just students, but also parents and counselors, because. Look, when I was applying to college, you know, going back to these same parents uh, of mine who I say these same parents, that was a weird way of saying it, but <laughs> going back to my parents, you know, and they're like, you know, go to a great, like we expect you to go to a great school, all this kind of stuff. When I applied to something that was outside, you know, to schools that were outside of their knowledge base or comfort zone, like mm-hmm. we grew up in LA and it was the East Coast. We we're like, we don't really have family in those places. Like I remember um, my dad, you know, they didn't say anything when I was applying. Uh, and then when I, you know, I, I decided I wanted to go to Cornell, one of the first things my dad said was really like, those are, those are schools for, you know, really smart kids. Like, are you sure you'll make it? Ooh. And, and that just stuck with me and that like, that hurt, you know, I'm yeah. not gonna lie that hurt at the time. Um, but at the same time, you know, it, it taught me not only then, but certainly upon reflection years later, that was reflecting more his discomfort about like the unknown that like Mm. i wouldn't be nearby and what if i fit like how would they be able to handle and support me and all this kind of stuff and Mm -hmm. those were unfamiliar things you know they're reserved for students who go to fancy boarding schools or whatever preconceived notions but his concern was just like that was imposter syndrome right as a almost as a family right Mm -hmm. like not for people like us Mm -hmm. they're really smart there these kinds of things and so as as a parent if you're listening to this, you will have doubts probably, even if your child's super high achieving and you think they can get into MIT and Stanford, there will be doubts. Uh, I would encourage folks to not communicate those explicitly or implicitly to students, because I think Mm -hmm. students have so much competition already, Mm -hmm. and there are enough outside voices telling them how hard it is, whether it's reading a, a blog online or hearing it from a neighbor or, you know, so-and-so didn't get in last year and they had a 4.7. I only mm-hmm. have a 4.57 or something right. like yeah, that. Yeah. And they didn't, you know, all these kinds of things. We don't need to fuel that fire anymore for them. They're already mm-hmm. dealing with a lot of that anxiety. Mm-hmm. So, but, but open the conversation, right? So ask, ask, how are you feeling? you know, what's your confidence level going into this? Yes, it's okay to feel that way. All this kind of stuff, rather than saying, I don't know if you can get into those places. Mm -hmm. Those really last. Those kinds of statements, I think, can really derail a student. Same thing with counselors. Yeah, I don't know, you know, from our school, uh, students tend to not get into that school, but this other school, we've had more success, Mm -hmm. right? So I think a lot of times as, as adults, Unfortunately, there's the risk that we might sabotage a student mm-hmm. if we say what we think is, you know, maybe innocuous. We think it's harmless and we're steering them in the right direction. Mm-hmm. But depending on the specific words spoken, and if it's the student's dream and something they've been going for, that could rattle them quite a bit. They might not put forth the same effort and it becomes self fulfilling. Mm-hmm. So, as parents, as counselors, as students, we all face that anxiety, that uncertainty, that imposter syndrome. Mm-hmm it's important to move forward anyway. Yeah. And that's, that's what I want to leave people with.
0: Awesome. Thank you. Yeah. I think that's um, that's fantastic. You mentioned the competition thing. And and I think another thing too, um, one thing I talk with, you know, with students about is, you know, if you're in your first semester and you're taking like a foundation class, um, you know, and, and they might not necessarily be in a med school track. So it might be different for these students, but if you're taking a foundational course in your major, that's going to, carry you through for the rest of the time like an intro to psychology class right Mm -hmm. there's so much information in that class if you get a you know a 3.0 on that class but you can move into abnormal psych and know everything all the foundations you need for that and everything beyond that that 3.0 is great um i think we we have taught students especially in the college applications game that they have to have that gpa and i always worry that that is going to encourage students not to actually learn the material but just be able to to test well. Um, and I, that always makes me nervous for like, how is that going to serve you when you are in medical school and you need to actually know how to learn,
1: um, mm-hmm. so that you can
0: use those things. So definitely, you know, don't discourage students if they don't get that four point either, see if they were able to actually learn the material and maybe they were good, you know, they started out rocking the class they the end of the class doing really well because they learned. Yeah. That's a, a win. I think so. Totally. Yeah. Great advice. Yeah. Awesome. So we've reached the part where I have just my two questions that I ask every guest that comes on. Um, and the first one is, what has your favorite class? I mean, it could be K through twelve, higher ed, anything. What is your favorite class you've ever taken? No pressure.
1: <laughs> PE. Okay. Um, you know, I'm not ashamed to say I uh, I grew up um, a huge huge fan of sports, specifically basketball, and mm-hmm. um, any opportunity to like be outside and play sports and stuff like that. I really really enjoyed. Um, in college, I mean, there were there were classes in you know brain development and you know that sort of and clinical psychology and stuff like that that I really enjoyed. But uh, one thing that really sticks out to me is um, I took a contemporary art class and a modern art class. I think they were sort mm. of jump, bunched into one, and that was really really interesting to me because I had zero background going into that class, and mm-hmm. it sort of opened. Not that I've pursued it any seriously beyond that class, but it sort of opened the whole like area of interest for me. And now when I go to different cities, I might check out a modern or contemporary art museum. And just that class like gave me um, sort of foundations on how to think about modern and contemporary art. And there are always mm-hmm. certain artists that I can identify because of that course. And um, I don't know, it just sometimes it's really nice going into a field with a, a completely novice or amateur lens because you can learn some, like going from zero to some knowledge mm-hmm. is so much easier than going from, you know, some knowledge to tons and tons of knowledge, if you yep. will, um, yep. and it's just really, really cool to, to approach things that way,
0: yeah, yeah. That's why those gen eds are so cool, you get to do yeah. stuff like that, yeah, yeah. Um, Lakers fan, I believe, I read, Huge. right? Huge okay, fan. all right, yeah. I don't know much about basketball, so I, you know, I have you no, you have to
1: know that the Lakers are the best team. There's there you go, uh... I
0: have no NBA alliances, so I'll, I'll go is. with it. Yeah. Um, MSU for college, that's that's uh, that's yeah. that's just because my you know, my mom went there. So I gotta, I gotta, yeah. Uh, for the, the family cohesiveness, I gotta root for MSU. Mm -hmm. Um, okay. So then the, the second and the last question would be, what is the best piece of advice that you've ever gotten? Um, it could be a quote that you've read somewhere. It could be from an actual person. Um, sky's the limit. I know that I think that makes it harder, but you know,
1: (laughs) yeah, I mean, I, you know, I don't, uh, it's not going to be, you know, in a, in a pretty quote, wrapped in a bow. Um, but I, one of the books that I really, really love is, uh, Dale Carnegie's how to win friends and influence people, Mm. uh, which has a kind of funny title. Um, it, you know, it's essentially how to, how to connect with people, Mm -hmm. um, and how to build relationships and, you know, work together productively, you know, towards, towards, um, your goals and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And again, there are a bunch of chapters on, you know, how to smile and, how do you say someone's name and all this kind of stuff? And mm-hmm. it sounds like very, very basic. The advice, actually applying it consistently, is a whole different ballgame. Sure. Essentially, what that book taught me is like put others' best interests first, mm. uh, and usually good things will happen. Uh, and and I found that to be true uh, in so many areas of my life. It's certainly in work, um, you know, there are, there are a lot of challenges, and you know that students might bring to the table that you know might lead to might lead to later nights or you know, support needs that people have that are different or anxieties people are dealing with and all that kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, if you put students' needs first and families' needs first, it ends up, you know, working out pretty well. Mm -hmm. That's, you know, that's true in, you know, every relationship really. Um, And and that's something that I've walked away with and and tried to apply, although I don't do it perfectly every time, but that's something that I really think about.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. I know that's, um, uh, where I'm I'm currently working one of the things that we say is our goal is to just do the right thing like for and by our students sure. and that's kind of like you know what how we uh, you know uh, go into or attack each day is to just do the right thing by students mm-hmm. so yeah that's awesome that's so awesome you
1: gonna end up okay yeah
0: exactly yeah well thank you so much for being here this was this was awesome it was a was great a conversation well. yeah thank, thank you, you. Beth.
1: appreciate you yeah. having me on
0: well, there you have it. Um, that interview was so much fun. It had such great information in it. Um, and I'm so glad that I got to, to bring it to you all and um, just to have it myself cause I learned a ton. Um, just another big thank you to Dr. Shermasian, um, for all of your fantastic wisdom, please. Uh, if you haven't already, um, You can check out his website for the Shamasian Academic Consulting. Um, That will be right in the show notes. And so please check them out and uh, get some great information um, from them. And their blog is fantastic. I highly recommend it. Uh, Yeah, that's that's it for this episode. Thanks again for sticking with me for 50 episodes. Um, And as always, it has been fantastic chatting with you here on... Get ready! Talk, talk.